Good morning. I now have the honor and privilege to continue our worship with prayer and scripture. This morning's scripture is from the book of Acts, first chapter, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time already this morning. Lord, I thank you for worship. I thank you for the ability to sing and to give honor to you and to glorify your name through our through the voices that we have. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for Sunday School this morning, learning more about you, learning more about your word and why it is important to us. God, I pray that you would continue to work through this time. I pray that you would bless Duncan as he brings the message to us this morning. I pray that you would work in all of our hearts, that you would take away any distractions that we have. Lord, that you would just do a work through your Holy Spirit within us. God, I pray that this church would be drawn closer together as a family. That as we eat together after the service, as we learn together now and as we've sang together already this morning, Lord, that we are just drawn together closer to each other for support and that we can just help each other to be better than when we came in. And Lord, we know that is through you and through your gospel that this happens and through your Holy Spirit working within our hearts. And God, we have the ability to pray to you also to ask you for things. So this morning I ask, I ask for a blessing on Melissa, the woman who's just found out that she has a stage four lung cancer, Lord. We pray that she would be healed, that you would work in her life, and that she would be drawn to you through this. We also pray for Carol, and she has found a lymph node, a mass in her lymph node, Lord. We pray the same things for her, that she would be healed if it's your will, and that this experience would allow her to see you and all that you are and to be drawn into a relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you for baby James, for the Linstads. Lord, we pray that he would continue to, to eat and sleep and just grow and be healthy in all things. Lord, we pray for the Abundant Life Mission for the homeless shelter here that's in our town. They have a dire need of a boiler and we pray that you would work some way and that you would work to them for them that this boiler system could be repaired. We also pray for the blessings that happen there. For Teresa as she leaves them that, that they would be drawn to Christ through her witness. Lord, we also pray for all the ministries starting up at North Shore. We pray for the youth that are meeting again. We pray for the small groups that are starting up. We pray for the new men's study that's happening. Lord, we just pray that as all these new things happen, that they would be well attended and that those that attend would be blessed by everything that happens within them. Lord, there's a prayer seminar 
seminar happening October 20th and 21st here in this building. Lord, I pray that you would bring many people to that. That as we go through that seminar, we would know more about prayer and be able to pray even more. Lord, I also pray for your blessing on the building team. As they've been working hard, the decor team has been working hard. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done through this. That as we come down to making decisions, that a blessing would be poured out upon both of those teams and their leadership, Lord. That this would be honoring to you in all that we do. And God, I just pray again for our time together. I pray that as we go now into worship through Duncan and through the ministry of his teaching, that we would be just drawn closer to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you might imagine, we're beginning a new series of messages from the book of Acts in the New Testament. We want to look at those opening verses that Andy read in just a minute, but first we need to make some very brief introductory comments, kind of set the table for this series. It really helps us as we kind of get what we're thinking about here. Um, first, the book of Acts, as many of us know, was written by Luke. He also wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke. He was probably a Gentile, not sure about that. He was a physician, it says that. He accompanied Paul on some, but not all, of his missionary journeys, which means that some of the book of Acts, he writes as an eyewitness. And you can tell by the pronouns he uses. He uses his personal pronoun at some point, so you can determine Luke must have been there. He was during much of this. His audience for the letter, which you just heard, is a person. He addresses it to this Theophilus. Theophilus was the person he also addressed the Gospel of Luke to, and it's very clear that Luke sees Acts as a sequel to the book of Luke. We don't know much about this guy again, uh, but we do know that he was a person who'd read Luke's Gospel. He's probably a Gentile based on his name, which means God-lover, and he was obviously familiar with the Old Testament in order for him to appreciate the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote Acts uh, sometime between 62 AD, which is when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, which is in the final chapters of Acts, that whole mess that he went through, and AD 70. Now in AD 70, many of you know that the Jerusalem temple was destroyed along with the rest of Jerusalem by the Romans. And we think that it happened before AD 70 because that was a huge event. Had that happened, before, Luke would have said something about it in Acts. And so we, 62 to 70, so, you know, not that long really after Jesus and he, he lived on the earth in Palestine. Luke writes Acts as a history book. That's really important to know. Uh, each particular book in the Bible belongs to a specific genre, and the genre helps us understand how to interpret it. Because you interpret history different than you interpret poetry, and you interpret poetry different than you interpret other books, because there are rules for interpreting different books. Now, Luke, as a historian, has at times in history, not recently, been challenged on some of his historical accounts. The consistent lesson that comes out of all of those challenges to his historicity is that he has been vindicated again and again and again. Sir William Ramsey, who is one of the more prominent historians at the turn of the century, looked at the historicity of Luke and Acts and said Luke is a historian of the first rank. Okay? So we have to read 
acts as a divinely inspired history book in the Bible. As he says in the introduction to his gospel, Luke's concerned to give an orderly account of the events and chronologies that he records as he bears witness to the great work of God in the early church. There's a lot of rich doctrinal truth in the book of Acts, and you'll hear some of it even today, but we should not use Luke as a primary source of doctrine any more than we would use any of the Old Testament history books as a primary source of doctrine because Luke is not writing it as doctrine, he's writing it as history. And so making the book of Acts a primary source for any of your doctrinal positions, probably not a good idea. If you want to go and find the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, you probably want to go to John 14 to 16, and then you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, because those are the places where the authors intentionally write, this is doctrinal analysis of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see more about that as we get along. Before we introduce chapter one, we first of all need to just whet your appetite a little bit, I hope, by giving four reasons why studying Acts is profitable for us. Some of you may be wondering where on earth you're going to find blessing as you study Acts. So hopefully this is going to pique your interest. Four reasons for studying Acts that have brought many, many blessings to those who study this book. First reason to study the book of Acts is because Acts plays a unique and indispensable role in the Bible. If you want to be a faithful student of Scripture, and I hope you do, and you don't have at least a decent understanding of Acts, that's going to negatively impact how you understand, especially the rest of the New Testament. And here's some of the reasons why I say that. First of all, without Acts, you're not going to know the historical background for many of the New Testament epistles or letters. Uh, we recently finished Ephesians, but we wouldn't know how to approach that book without an adequate understanding of what was going on in Ephesus when Paul planted the church. And you find that in Acts chapters 18 through 21, where we learn about the city of Ephesus and what Paul was facing as he planted the church. And that, of course, gives us insight into what the book of Ephesians is about. The same is true in Philippians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Those are covered in Acts. Second, the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul is a very unique person in the Bible. He's arguably the most impactful of the 12 apostles, and most would agree he's the most influential Christian in church history, the man who wrote about half the New Testament. He would be much more of a question mark to us if we didn't have the book of Acts, because it's in Acts where we read about his conversion and about what God did in his life to bring him to Jesus. Another unique contribution that Acts makes is it reveals the new and dynamic role of the Holy Spirit and that it plays in the ministry of the church. And that's especially as it's compared to the Old Testament. The Old Testament had much to teach us about the Holy Spirit, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul teaches us that the new covenant that Christ initiated with his followers through his shed blood is the new covenant of the Spirit. It's the new covenant of the Spirit. This new covenant is in my blood, Jesus said, and it is a covenant of the Spirit. Christians are spirit people. The Spirit indwells us, enlivens us, empowers us, seals us, leads us, fills us. 
In the first century, if you wanted to know whether somebody was a Christian or not, you probably would have heard that phrase through the question, do you have the Spirit? The Holy Spirit's role in the church is almost impossible to overstate, and Luke's recording of the events of Pentecost when God poured out his Spirit on the church, as well as the indispensable ministry of the Spirit that we see again and again and again in Acts, is so important for us to internalize. Luke also helps us to see the unique contribution of Acts as we see the absolute centrality of the ministry of prayer in the church. In Acts, we learn by repeated and powerful example that before God does anything of significance in the church, the church must first earnestly pray. You see that reality again and again in Acts. And given our sinful tendency to act independently from God, this is a lesson that we can't have too often, and you get it again and again in the book of Acts. Finally, and related to this unique contribution the book of Acts makes, within the larger context of the Bible, Acts serves as a hinge. It's a hinge between the Gospels on one side, where Jesus is obviously the main focus, and the New Testament epistles, where, among other things, the teachings of Jesus are explained and expanded. Acts sits in between the Gospels and the epistles, and it helps us put all of them together. So Acts plays a unique and indispensable role in the New Testament. A second reason it's profitable to study the book of Acts is because, and this comes from Patrick Schreiner, who's got a wonderful commentary on Acts. He says, Acts is a model, Acts is a prototype, an exemplar for renewal in the church. I love that word, renewal. Throughout church history, when the church has been in varying levels of decline, and this is Catholic and Protestant, God has used the book of Acts as an inspired thunderclap to wake up believers as to what the church is really about and what a spirit-indwelt body of redeemed sinners can and in many cases should look like. For instance, in the book of Acts, liars could drop dead. Acts chapter 5. Well, I don't believe that many of us aspire to see that happening in our church. But it is a reminder of the character of God manifest in the early church. We see similar stories that indicate his mercy, his patience his goodness. Another way in which the Lord has used the book of Acts to bring renewal, revival, awakening, whatever word you want to choose, is as Luke reveals the quality of spiritual life that believers experienced on a more or less daily basis in the early church. You see this throughout the book of Acts. There's a composite picture that does come up. But in summary form, it's in a text we had cited a few weeks ago that I want to read again. It's Acts 42 to 47. This is where Luke gives a slice of life on the early church. He says in Luke 2, 42 to 47, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We're going to look more, obviously, in depth when we get to 242. But this is what the church looked like in the early days. Church history sadly reveals that in any era, 
part of the tendency of believers in our fallen world is to measure the health of our spiritual lives or to measure the spiritual health of our church by comparing it with the believer down the pew or the church down the street. What Luke does in the book of Acts is to remind us instead to cast a glance back at the early church to get an idea of what spiritual health looks like rather than drawing it from our contemporary setting. Because our contemporary setting, it's by nature, it's what we know. It's what we've been exposed to. So naturally, we're going to be looking at our contemporary setting to say, this must be spiritual health. Um, 42 to 47, chapter 2, Acts is probably a better place to go. By God's grace, Luke causes us to measure ourselves against what God was doing in the church in many ways when it was less conformed to the pattern of this world. The church isn't perfect in Acts. It's got a share of problems. I don't want to romanticize it too much. But it's generally better to measure ourselves against the inspired pages of Scripture in Acts than by looking at what we're seeing today. Or, and that's true of any era of the church. The purpose of spiritual renewal is one that Acts has repeatedly played in church history throughout various areas. And although it's comparisons to be made thoughtfully, sometimes it's not apples and apples, you have to be careful with apples and oranges comparison, it remains a really important reason to study Acts. I trust that as we spend time in Acts, there will be some legitimate signs of renewal and revival in our own lives as we see what God was doing 2,000 years ago. A third reason to study Acts is Acts reminds us that the church is on God's mission to glorify himself by blessing the nations through his chosen people. I'm going to say it again because those words are chosen carefully. Acts reminds us that the word is on God's mission to glorify himself. That's always God's mission by blessing the nations through his chosen people. That purpose is one of the main threads that runs throughout the course of the Bible. In Genesis, God states that explicitly in his promise to Abraham in chapter 12, and that purpose has not changed. In Acts, Luke picks up this biblical thread that runs through the Bible of God's glory through his blessing of the nations through his people, and he develops it still more as the kingdom spreads to all the nations. And this blessing of God through his people happens as we fulfill the mission of the church. Missionaries and church planters like to talk about the church as being missional. The church is a missional organization. That is, the church is on a mission. We have a job to do. And at the center of that job is the Great Commission, of course, in Matthew 28. That's our mission, to reach the local people as well as the nations for Christ with the gospel. When you boil it down to its most essential aim, the book of Acts is about the mission of God. We in Christ Church are not here for ourselves. We're on a mission for God. The church isn't a club, it's not a social institution, it's not a religious society. We have a job to do. The church is missional in nature. And as any good missionary will tell you, as Christians, we are either going on a mission or we are sending others on the mission as part of our mission. And if we're not going and we're not sending, we're disobeying. Because 
God is intent on glorifying himself by blessing the nations through his people. This constant theme in Acts reminds us that our purpose is not simply to keep the doors open here. We're here to reach the lost and perishing with the saving message of the gospel in our Jerusalem and our Judea, Sumeria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. That's Acts. You see that in 1.8. By God's grace, North Shore Church has a tradition that includes planting churches locally. Two large churches in Peshtigo were birthed out of this church by God's grace. But there's also a heritage of sending missionaries to the nations from this church. And it's been my hope and prayer that God will use this series from Acts to revitalize and rekindle our missional purpose here as well as to the nations. A fourth and final reason to study Acts is to remind us that the story of the church is a story of the repeated triumph of God over the spiritual forces of evil. It's a story of the repeated triumph of God over the spiritual forces of evil. Acts is a cosmic book. It's just here. Angels, demons, all that stuff. Life is difficult, and one reason life is difficult for the believer is because we have an enemy. The Bible says he's brutal and brilliant, and he seeks to steal and kill and destroy us. Now, theologically, we know that on Calvary's cross, Jesus defeated Satan. He delivered the mortal blow crushing his head by removing from the devil the one lethal weapon that he could wield against believers, which was our unforgiven sin. In Colossians 2, 14 to 15, Jesus, Paul says that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, those are the demonic rulers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's at the heart of Jesus' triumph over Satan. But we also know that even in our triumph in Christ, we are regularly assailed by Satan if we're seeking to be faithful to Jesus. There's a war going on, and it can be heated sometimes. And in the book of Acts, we see the reality of both the victory of Christ and the fierce battle that can rage around us. In the book of Acts, Luke records a series of varied and powerful satanic assaults against the church. The militant nature of the church is very much on display, as is the militant nature of the Christian life in Acts. Luke repeatedly reveals spiritual assaults against God's people by the devil. But the evidence of the triumph of Christ that Luke reveals is seen in that God repeatedly uses the onslaught of Satan to actually advance the mission of the church. For example, the church suffers severe persecution in Acts chapter 7, beginning with the stoning of Stephen. But Luke reveals that as the church is scattered in the midst of the persecution to places like Samaria, the persecuted believers preach the gospel, and the church actually expands exponentially because Satan attacked the church. Acts reveals that though the church can at times suffer mightily under the assault of Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness, God repeatedly uses the attack of Satan and his dark kingdom actually to help accomplish God's mission to advance the kingdom of God. You see this over and over and over again in Acts. So encouraging. That should be a great source of encouragement for us who live in this world and are subject to sometimes a severe attack of the evil. All of those reasons for studying the Acts, I hope, whet your appetite and serve as encouragement for us to dig in. Now let's look at these opening verses in chapter 1. Some believers mistakenly claim that Acts 
that in Acts, the, the Holy Spirit is the one that's on display. They say, no, the, the title should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is so important, and he is. Or the traditional title of Acts, which is not inspired, by the way. I don't know who's somebody just hung it on there, which is the Acts of the Apostles. Not inspired. But both of those, if it's either the Acts of the Apostles, that's the focus, or the Acts of the both of those are wrong. They're, they're bad misreadings of Acts. And frankly, we see that throughout the book of Acts, but you see it especially in these first five verses. The first five verses of chapter 1, Luke tells us that Jesus Christ is the dominant character in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ is the dominant character. If you really wanted to, to, to title the book accurately, you would say the Acts of Jesus Christ through his church. Listen to the primacy and supremacy of Jesus as we read this again. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking during the kingdom about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the main truth of these opening verses can be stated like this, and that is Jesus Christ, though ascended to the Father, continues his earthly ministry through the apostles, or the church by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot of elements there. Jesus Christ, though ascended to the Father, continues his earthly ministry through his church, through his apostles, by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, I trust you heard all of those different elements there. We see all of them here in these first five verses where Luke connects Acts with the gospel that he'd written earlier, the gospel of Luke. He says in the first book, which is, of course, the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This is one of the most important verses in the entire book about what is happening in Acts and, frankly, what is happening in the church even today. I hope you noticed this incredibly curious way that Luke words his reference to the former book. He says that the Gospel of Luke is an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I hope that word began leaps off the page at you, because it should, because it raises some really important questions. In Luke's Gospel, when you go back there, in chapter 24, Jesus ascends. He leaves this earth as he ascends to his home in heaven. He's gone at the end of the Gospel of Luke. So when Luke writes Acts, Jesus was sitting in glory at the right hand of the Father. His earthly ministry presumably had been completed. He was in heaven. He'd left here. And yet Luke says here in verse 1 that the first 33-odd years of Jesus' life culminating in his death and resurrection and finally his ascension in Luke 24, that was just the beginning of his ministry. Luke summarizes all 24 chapters of his gospel by saying this is what Jesus began to do and to teach. So Luke's claim is that Jesus initiated his earthly ministry in Luke's gospel. This obviously culminated in his glorious work of redemption on the cross. But the clear implication to Luke is what we're about to read in the book of Acts is Jesus Christ continuing his earthly ministry from his heavenly vantage point. 
The fact that Luke sees Jesus as continuing his ministry through his church tells us something of immense importance. First, about how Luke sees the events of these books, but also it should inform our understanding of the church. Here's the way Luke sees it. That is, in the Gospels, Gospel of Luke in particular, Christ ministers through the Spirit by means of his own physical, material, flesh, and blood body. And we know that's what he says because before his ascension, it says he's giving commands to his apostles through the Spirit. Jesus was there, but he's doing his ministry through the Spirit. Okay, so he's ministering through the Spirit when he's on earth. The fact that this was the beginning of his ministry means that in the book of Acts, Christ ministers through his Spirit by means of his spiritual body, the church, especially the apostles. Don't miss the astonishing continuity that Luke wants us to see here. Between, on the one hand, Jesus is in the flesh ministry on earth through the Spirit in the Gospels, and his spiritual ministry from heaven through the Spirit in the book of Acts. In the Gospels, Christ ministers on earth through the Spirit by means of his physical body. In Acts, though Christ is in heaven, Christ continues to minister on earth by the Spirit through his spiritual body, the church, especially the apostles. This is so important for how we view so many things in the church. We must hear this profound sense of continuity here between Christ's ministry in the Gospels and Christ's ministry in Acts. In both his flesh and blood body phase of Christ's ministry in Luke's Gospel and his spiritual church body phase of Christ's ministry in Acts. Luke wants us to see it's Christ is the one who's doing the ministry, the doing and the teaching. We must never believe that when Jesus ascended to God, his ministry is over. His work of redeeming sinners from their sin on the cross was finished once and for all. It is finished. That's true. But the rest of his ministry in and through the church was not finished. It was just beginning when he was here on earth. It continues today. Christ's ministry continues today. That's why it's accurate for us to say that the church is commissioned by Christ to continue his ministry and show forth his character. Now, why is that important? Why is that more than just a, a theological curiosity? Well, the reason is because it gives us the standard for our ministry, doesn't it? Is it Christ-like? Does it look like Christ? Because it's his ministry. And if it doesn't look like Christ, we got trouble. Another reason it's so important that Luke understands this letter we call Acts to be about Jesus and not fundamentally the Holy Spirit or the apostles is because it shows the absolute uniqueness of Christianity. The great old scholar F.F. Bruce says it this way, all other religions regard their founder as having completed his ministry during his lifetime. Luke says Jesus only began his and that's because unlike Muhammad or Krishna or Buddha or Joseph Smith or whoever else, Jesus is still alive. So he continues his ministry. Though the apostles surely didn't understand it at the time, Jesus actually spoke of this while he was still on earth, continuing his ministry. In John 14, 16, Jesus says to the apostles, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
So after Jesus speaks about the helper is the spirit of truth who will dwell with them and be with them, he concludes it by saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, there is a clear distinction between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, he, Jesus, is going to be coming to his church. He's going to continue to do and to teach. We see in verse 4 that Jesus gave a command to his apostles that would ensure that his ministry would continue through his church. It says, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, Jesus knew that the church must be baptized. The church must literally be plunged or immersed, that's the word that's used here, in the Holy Spirit if the ministry of Christ is to continue. We can't do the ministry of Jesus. We can't do that. We're not Jesus. The Holy Spirit can do the ministry of Jesus. He's part of the Godhead. Okay? Just as Jesus, when he walked this earth, depended on the Holy Spirit to minister through his earthly body, his physical body, so must the church depend on the Holy Spirit to minister through us, his spiritual body, if Jesus' ministry is to be manifested in his church. Without the Spirit, the mission of the church to continue the ministry of Christ, to bring his kingdom to earth, could never be accomplished. The reason he wants the Spirit there is because he wants it to be his ministry, and his ministry cannot be accomplished through fallen people. It needs the Spirit. Another way we see the centrality of Jesus in Acts is that in crucial moments in Acts, Jesus shows up. He actually manifests himself to his people on earth. He reveals himself to Stephen. As you recall, he sees Jesus in the cloud standing at the right hand of God, and they stone him. He manifests himself to Ananias in chapter 9, telling him to go and get this newly converted Saul of Tarsus. He appears to Cornelius through an angel in chapter 10 as he begins his ministry to the Gentiles. And soon after, he speaks to Peter in a vision in the same chapter. And of course, he appears to Paul many times during the course of the book of Acts. Again, Luke doesn't want us to miss the fact that the ministry of Acts is the ministry of Jesus. In verse 3, he continues this Christ-centered theme by saying, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appealing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The number 40 in the Bible is a number that's frequently used symbolically to mean time of preparation. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness preparing for his earthly ministry as he was tempted by Satan. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing to enter the promised land. Moses spent 40 days up on the mountain of God preparing to lead his people. And here, we see that Jesus took 40 days to prepare his apostles for their continuing ministry through them. He was speaking, it says, about the kingdom of God. Theologians tell us that when Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, he inaugurated his kingdom. That's the word that's always used in theological stuff. He inaugurated his kingdom. It means he purchased it with his blood and he vindicated his victory over Satan when he rose from the dead. The book of Acts is the story of the spread of God's kingdom from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the othermost parts of the earth. And during these 40 days of preparation, Jesus taught these apostles about the kingdom because all of their ministry was about expanding and spreading the kingdom of God beyond Jerusalem. 
In verse 4 and 5 again, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Did you notice something different here from the time when Jesus first meets his apostles and they stay together? When Jesus first recruits his apostles, John records that he invites them, Come and stay with me. Come and live with me. That was his home on earth at the time. But notice now he appears as the visitor whose home is in heaven. The role of host has been turned upside down, hasn't it? Now it's the apostles who play the role of host as he temporarily stays with them because Jesus' home at this point is in heaven. Because Jesus knows the only way that he's going to be able to minister to them and through them again is through the Spirit of God. As you think about the book of Acts, as you think about renewal, as you think about your life in comparison to the time of the apostles, I hope you'll be thinking about where am I in relationship to that? And frankly, as you think about North Shore Church, you need to be thinking about where are we in relationship to Acts chapter 2? There's much more that we can see in this book. Please pray that God, by his grace, would use this series powerfully for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do pray that. We pray that Christ would be glorified, that he would be lifted up, manifested, exalted, because of what you teach us and how you change us through this wonderful book. Father, we pray that our joy would be fulfilled as we more and more and more come to love you and out of that love and faith obey you. God, we need you. We need the Spirit of God. We need your movement. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your truth. And God, we just ask that you would use this time as we study this glorious book to bring us closer to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to end our time worshiping God through song, so please stand as we sing of his mercy. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more.